Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode, uh, episode, cannot speak, episode of the podcast, we have Dr. Scott Christie, and we're really fortunate to have Dr. Scott Christie on this because this guy knows his stuff. Listen to this. He's a chiropractor, but he also has a d- degree in kinesiology, and I'm going to read something from his website. I normally don't do this, but it just gives you some good context of who you're about to hear. One of Scott's main roles as a certified kinesiologist was working closely with, with medical doctors, physiotherapists, and other chiropractors to both restore function and remove pain from thousands of clients. Perform... Scott also spent several years as an educational instructor for the Sport Performance Institute and was responsible for teaching, educating, and, and certifying many of today's personal trainers. His high perform- professional standards and determination to constantly help others has afforded him the opportunity to work with several elite teams such as the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Marlies, Canadian National Rowing Team, and the Canadian National Sledge Hockey Team. So this guy just has a ton of great experience. He himself, um, well, I'll, I'll let you hear when he explains some of his past experiences for his own kind of fitness and stuff. Good guy, knows tons of stuff. And the reason that we're sharing Dr. Scott Christie and his story on the podcast here is Nick and I believe living life on your terms is not just a financial thing. You know, we talk about real estate. We like real estate, obviously. But to really live life on your terms, you also have to have your health. And that's led us down a path of fitness and nutrition. So when we stumble into something like Dr. Scott Christie, who knows what he's talking about, it just absolutely fascinates us. And you guys will probably get a good laugh of hearing Nick and I try to talk about some nutrition information, and we don't fully know what we are talking about, so we stumble all over the place. But anyway, that's where we're at. Um, if you're not even interested in this stuff yet, we still think it's valuable to, to, to listen to this and get exposed to some of this information. Dr. Scott Christie gives a good example of where to start if you've never even paid to, uh, attention to your nutrition before. So a great podcast to listen and get some information around this subject. And if you are listening to this and have some real estate specific questions, listen up to this. We're doing a lot more on Instagram over the last few months. You can find us on Instagram at Rockstar Inner Circle. So that's at Rockstar Inner Circle is our handle on Instagram. If you want to ask any real estate state specific questions, that's one of the ways you can get through to us if you haven't already. So you can check us out on Instagram at Rockstar Inner Circle. And that's where we've been answering questions more so than we ever have been in the past. So you can check out that platform if you're on Instagram and check us out there. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, so we're live, and since it's just me, Nick, here, and Tom's not here, there's no one to say, Nick, can you hear me? So we're missing out. And, and you know what I found? Yeah, so have you heard, you've heard a few of our podcasts where Tom says that at the beginning? Like, yes. Nick, can you hear me? Yeah. I've heard uh, a number of people have come up to me and said they really, like, they're like, they laugh about it all the time. So now I gotta I gotta figure out something to get my older brother back about uh, about picking on me with his uh, with his comments there. So uh, yeah, we're here with uh, Dr. Scott Christie. So we crossed paths uh, what six months six months ago. We talked about doing this. Yes. So we we move very quickly in getting these types of things done. And uh, so I, I guess the the thing that stood out is kind of the, was the sports science. I mean, you, you do a bunch of stuff, which I'm just kind of learning about. But it was the sports science stuff really that that was. Uh, 
that jumped out at me. But but we were just talking right before we started. You're not just so you're doing some cheerleading stuff work within the cheerleading field as well, right? Correct. So what yeah. are you what are you doing? Can you share with everyone what you're doing there? Yeah. So I'm a co-founder of a of a cheerleading app, which is it's mainly for there's two parts. It's for social. So like Instagram, Facebook, that kind of thing. And then the other part is training and accountability for training, for strength and conditioning, for cheerleading. So I put together all the workouts for ages eight and up, all kinds of different skill levels. So you're putting the programming together. Who's you, who is it, is it a relatively new app? Yeah, it's, oh. it's only about a, it's about seven months, eight months old now. So this is a new startup. So you're putting programming together, and you said there's like what nine between ages and styles or something. There's like 19 different programs you got to put yeah. together. So in a I year based, of each. That's yeah. So we went eight and up, but let's say they're in cheerleading. There's different skills like there would be in most sports like hockey. Uh, you might have eight to ten year olds, but within the eight to ten year olds, you have level one through to level six, and so all the way up to. Young adults. And this is just ge- cheerleading gyms in general are using this? Is that how it's going to work? That's, That's the plan for, for it? Our original plan was just to go to each individual cheerleader and advertise it that way. But we're finding it more effective for accountability uh, to go to each gym. So we sell the app to the gym. So, and you just said something interesting to me because you've worked with some other, in some other sports fields as well, like hockey. I know hockey. Like I think the, in, even in the past, you've worked with the Leafs or some Leafs and the Marlies and... Other sports yeah. as well? Yes. So it was a company. It used to be the Ottawa Sports Science Center. We now work with a company called the Sport Performance Institute. That's what it was at the time. In the beginning, a lot of the Olympic athletes were actually funded by the government, but then they stopped that. And so these little companies start up like the Sport Performance Institute, and all the Olympic athletes have to go and find their own people to train them. So we did, as contract work, when I don't know if you know Matt Nichols, but he was one of the athletic trainers for the Leafs. Okay. He hired us to go work with the Leafs and the Marlies. So we would go in and do all their uh, fitness testing with blood lactate, with oxygen analysis, that kind of. Okay. So there's so much to talk about. So hold on. Sports Performance Institute, that still exists? I don't know if it still exists because my mentor or my boss at the time, he now works for like the Canada Center for Sport here. And okay. So. That's something that, so this is a pet peeve of mine about Canadian sport. Like we mm-hmm. have some really good athletes yeah. and the lack of funding and the lack of good organization behind them or facilities or whatever really kind of holds them back. And, it, you know, it just, when someone gives so much to something and they're performing at such a level to not have some support behind them, it can be hurt. It, you know, it just, I, like, I'm like, I'm like, man, I just, I want to, I want these people to have more. So one of the, uh, so the weightlifting coach that I did some work with, um, she, uh, you know, qualified, I, I don't know what competition she qualified for, but the funding even to get her there doesn't exist. Right. Like, so Correct. she's in, like, the, I think last year in the world's in, in her weight class for weightlifting, she finished, I'm going to butcher the, you know, the, the actual place. So I'm pretty sure it was like top 15 or something. Or was it the Pan Ams? I don't know. Some big yeah. competition, some big international competition. So like she's performing at like a global level. Yes. Right. Yeah. And and like, there's just not much support there. And it's just too, it's kind of too bad. Like you want to see, cause I don't know about you, but like, I'd imagine you're the same way, but I get pride when I see like a Canadian athlete doing well someplace. I'm like, yeah, good, man. I can, you know, Canadians are doing good. No different than when the Raptors won. Half of Canada's happy just because it's a Canadian team. Right. Correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so you were kind of involved in kind of helping the, you know, the back, the back end of that. Right. Correct. 
So how did you, okay, so the sports science stuff, what were you focusing on with the, um, like when you were dealing with it, was it the Leafs as a team or specific players? No, it, it was the team. So what were you guys working on? So when they, when they come into training camp, they have to go through all different areas of professionals. So eye doctors, medical doctors, and then we took care of part of the fitness stuff. So they would have to do, uh, come in and, and we'd mark out 300 feet on the ice surface They'd have to go and skate that 300 feet as fast as they can. You get 30 seconds, and you have to do it six times. So let's say they, they skate 300 feet in 17 seconds. That, that's going to give them 13 seconds of rest before they have to start again. And so you do six rounds of that. We're set up over on the bench. They have to come over to us, and we draw blood from their finger, just little, um, little droplets of blood like you would see with a diabetic doing... Yeah. glucometer so that kind of thing so after each round after each round no at the end of the six okay and then we would take blood samples at like one minute three minutes five minutes and that data would be kept and that would be the beginning of their year data so it doesn't mean a whole lot right then and there so what are you looking for and, and just so everyone listening mm-hmm. tom just kind of hopped in and we're, we've reversed spots usually i'm the one walking in and tom's kind of you know kicked this off um tom can you hear me I can hear you. Can you hear me? <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I just want to make sure. Um, so, okay, so you're taking the blood. What are you looking for when you guys, like what markers are you guys measuring or were you measuring when you were taking this blood? So what, what we're looking for is to collect a baseline of what we think their fitness is from a fatigue standpoint. Or what, what, what are they using as a fuel source? Because if you use carbohydrates as a fuel source, your byproduct is going to be lactic acid. Okay. And hockey tends to work somewhat in that system it's changing a little bit because the shifts are shorter etc but we're looking for the accumulation of lactate and how fast it goes back down oh that's why you're taking the ones afterwards as well the longer term ones that's correct and so and then you'll see and then you'll try to if your fitness is improved then you'll you're able to flush lactic acid more rapidly like 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 someone at the beginning of training camp versus mid-season their lactic acid should be going down it sooner gets, is that theory in theory with yes it, it's a little bit confusing and this is where you do need to understand okay so maybe don't we won't go too deep but okay, how much the so, high level so it would look like this back in the late 80s and 90s lactate levels would go up into like 18 to 19 millimoles per liter and that's enough to definitely show that you are not functioning anywhere close to what you need to be both physically and mentally when we're dealing with lactate levels now, because the shifts are shorter, we're only seeing that about go up to about half that, because the shifts are 45 seconds, not two minutes anymore. So what we'll look for is what are, what are your lactate values now, and then midway through the season, what are they? So that's what we're looking for, and we don't have to really get into the interpretation, but you're looking at how well, yes, you can clear the lactate out of the muscle cell, but it can get confusing when you're trying to read it because it's still in your bloodstream. Yeah, I got you. Okay. And then if the, and then it, there's variables there, like you said, the shifts mm. and, and that type yeah. of stuff. And I guess even what you're doing, like yeah. the explosiveness of the shifts, that's why you're doing sprints on the ice to get get those levels. So yes. did you guys talk about it? How do you develop yourself so that you can flush it faster? We didn't know. Oh. So there's this is the big argument in hockey because it's shorter, sh- shorter shifts now. In the past, we used to say you would do, you want to develop your slow twitch muscle fibers because they use lactic acid as a fuel source. I always get mixed up. Can you, so for anyone not familiar and because I always get them mixed up, can you expl- just explain the difference between slow twitch and, and what, is it fast? It's quick, quick. Fast twitch. Fast, yeah. okay. So to, to make it simple, slow twitch is more your endurance, non-fatigable 
muscle fibers. Okay. And then the and fast, fast twitch are the ones that... The explosiveness. Yeah. And okay. there, there's a couple different types, but basically you look at what they use as a fuel source and how fast they contract. Okay. So you said, so you're trying to do the slow, you, you, they thought that it was a good idea to develop the slow twitch muscle fibers to, to kind of help with the lactic acid. Yeah. So that when you're sitting on the bench, if you have a really good slow twitch system in your body, you could eat up the lactic acid as a fuel source, okay. keeping fatigue levels low. So that's developing your aerobic system. You got it. Yeah. Okay. But that's now false? They're, they're, so we were doing studies where we compared if you just did high intensity interval training compared to slow training, what the difference would be as far as your recovery. And there was no, there doesn't seem to be a big difference. Really? Now you'll see some teams, I don't know if you remember back when the Ottawa Senators were being interviewed and they're riding on the site, their bikes after. I don't After watch the game. Oh, yeah. Senators. If oh, it's yeah, not the yeah, Leafs, yeah, of course. I know That's like a the... running joke in the NHL. Yeah, so... There was memes about that stuff. So yeah. what they were doing was is... Daniel Alfredson, I think, was like number one culprit, no? Yeah. He'd be like on the bike. Yeah, and then other NHL this. players, wasn't it Doty? Who someone mimicked him when a reporter asked him, so yes. like, what did you think after the game? And he started pretending he was yeah. on the bike. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, because Alfredson would always, he would always be on the bike during the post-game interviews. Yeah. yeah, so what we, what was done there was that we know what speed they need, need to ride on the bike at to remove lactic acid the fastest. So if you can get rid of lactic acid quickly, then you're going to start replenishing all your carbohydrate stores so that you can recover faster between games. That's the whole idea that behind that. That was the that. logic behind it. Yep. So that's, does that still hold true yeah, I today? I would say so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to some capacity, maybe yep. not the same, the same amount, but yeah. Because yeah. I know that, like in this space, so much is changing so fast. Yeah, call, if, uh, yeah go ahead. If you do want longer shifts, like if I if I wanted to play two minutes then, so in your thinking, am I right? I would want to develop my aerobic system to develop my slow titch, uh, titch twitch <laughs> muscle fiber um, so that um, I could clear the, the lactate out and have a longer intense shift. Is that thinking correct? You would, you yeah, you're right. You would, You can build up your aerobic base. And keep moving it up so that you can train faster without producing fatigue. Got it. Okay. Okay. So even if you're doing a short, you know, two minute shift on the ice, there's a benefit to long aerobic training. There is if you, if you know what you're doing. What is done right. And, yes. and what would be the mistake? The mistake is people miss their aerobic training zone. They train too hard. Got it. Okay. And then is that like a heart rate minus your age kind of thing? You know that? Yeah. We try not to use heart rate. We would actually physically take blood lactate. And if you don't have that, we use, it would be like me having a conversation with you guys. If I'm starting to have to take a breath every five or six sec, every five or six words, I'm out of the aerobic training system that I want to go after. Wow. Oh, so you're, okay. Yeah. So it's a different, so if, if you don't have that, well, I guess the breathing pattern everyone has access to, you just yes. don't know it, right? right. But uh, So if I'm running around the building and I want to develop my aerobic you capacity... Should see, just for the record, you should see Tom run. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, quite good. I'm a really bad runner. But I figured out the reason. My bones are very dense. I've, this is my reasoning. Mm -hmm. So I have heavy bones. So when I run, it's kind of like a jalopy that's running around because the bones are like weighing me down. This is my thinking. Yeah, I like but, it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I've totally sold myself on this. But uh, so I just want to run at a pace where my breath is... Like I can hold a conversation? Correct. So I can hold a conversation, just run at that speed. Correct. Because I'm a very impatient person, that's so irritating to me because I feel like I'm doing nothing. But if I just run laps at that pace, that's actually developing my aerobic system. 
Yes, you, you have to do it for a certain amount of time and a certain and how and a certain number of days of the week. And you're right; nobody wants to do it because it feels too easy. <laughs> so the, the the whole 180 minus your heart rate, like keeping in in that zone, that's not really because when I do that, so at 40, that would bring me to a one uh, 140. Uh, heart rate, like beats per minute, and nice my, quick math on that, dude. Yeah, sure. 180 I'm, minus 40 I'm, I'm, is 140. You're, you're on it. Had you're my, on it. Had my phone. Oh, in my, was a, had my phone yeah, in my get hand. Get the calculator out for that um, one. <laughs> and uh, um, man, no, thanks. I totally forgot. <laughs> no, no, what I, was saying. Saying, I think you were saying is that right or incorrect or useless? <laughs> no, no, not the not the math, but uh, no, just oh, the yeah, strategy. So what, I, what I found is, but then when I use some of these apps that did a, a quick test on me, and my 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 training zones actually had me at a little bit of a higher um, heart rate. So I would put on a heart rate monitor and then I'd have to do a certain kind of interval training and it would measure, you know, what I thought was 100%, 100% effort versus other things. And then it would measure it and the heart rate zones were actually qu- kind of higher, meaning that I would actually have to keep a little bit higher, you know, a little bit higher heart rate going. Is that just kind of like, are those benchmarks, like for the average person, can you use that a benchmark like that? Or should you not even be really looking at that stuff? I... I if I'm just going to be blunt, I wouldn't yeah, use it. Really? Right. And I know I know people listening are going to try and correct us that it's 220 minus your age because I don't want us getting in trouble. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Holy it's 220? It's 220 minus your age. How the hell do you hold I can't hold 180, man. I'd be <laughs> it's 220 minus your age? Yes. To but that's not aerobic. That's psycho, no? <laughs> no, that's not. A, so we're that at that point is not aerobic. And heart rate is, so this would just be a mass, like thousands and thousands of people we're looking at an average number and the average number is going to be 220 minus your age. For what? But some people, just if you were going to go, let's say we did 220 minus 40, so 180. Yeah. We're assuming that that's your maximum heart rate okay. that you could get. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And, oh, got and, it. And then you subtract. Yeah. So then we would do percentages of that, of your got max it. heart rate. Got it. Okay. Oh, I got thought it. the aerobic, see, the way we were looking at it was the aerobic zone was yes. the 180 the max heart so I was using that yeah. as the max heart I didn't know that's where the 180 yeah. came from but uh, minus my age so on the 180 at the starting point in 180 we're just generalizing too much it should be 220 minus your age then minus then, then, you, then, then you do a percentage, percentage of that and but what are the percentages it depends on what your goals are so people would say your fat burning everything zone everything so complicated I'm try- we just want no, answers no, 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 no. <laughs> it's good though it's good no I really appreciate we're, hearing this so what everybody's trying to do is determine what fuel sources you're using because everybody wants to burn fat okay and what muscle fibers are you using that's really all training is all about we we really overcomplicate things what muscle fibers do you want to train what energy systems do you want to use? And why do we all want to burn fat instead of well, carbohydrate? Well, lose weight. Everybody's going to Okay, so but isn't burning fat, because like if, uh, I'm uneducated in this, but <laughs> carbohydrate is stored, isn't that right in my muscle fiber? So is, so yeah, so but are free fatty acids. Aren't free fatty acids to metabolize them, don't they have to go through my liver? So isn't it the process slower? So, so you like have to be to, maximum capacity, your bur- car- burning carb is better if I'm really trying to give my full exertion. No? I don't so know what I'm talking yeah, about, by no, the way. I, I know what you're trying to get at. Okay. You're, you're coming back to the harder you train, the better it is. So, I guess. So the more you feel it. Yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. Then it's got to be more beneficial. I guess. Yes. But I'm also saying I to really feel it yep. isn't the carb better because that fuel source is right in the muscle, whereas the fatty... What am I talking about when I talk about fat? Free, like, the, like free fatty acids. The free fatty acids. Don't, the triglycerides. Don't they have to be processed through my liver to actually burn the fuel? No. Oh. 
So you can you can have transitions within the muscle fiber itself, and and that's really what the aerobic system is all about. Okay. But you you're right. You do have to have releases of certain hormones to create the conversion of a triglyceride into a free fatty acid to okay. use it as a fuel source. That process has to occur. So that's a little bit longer than using the carbohydrate as a fuel correct. source, correct? Yeah. And isn't there some debate then around that that like burning fat isn't quite as good as burning carbohydrate? No. No. So there's just oh. two different. <laughs> Damn. There's Thought just I was onto something. There's then. just two different streams of people. There's the high intensity interval training, and then there's the slow, steady pace. But after a 24 hour period, it really is irrelevant which one you do. You're going to burn the same amount of fat over 24 hours. But just burning carbohydrates in itself produces lactate or hydrogen ions, which gives you the burn. Mm. and gives you the fatigue and makes you feel like you've worked harder, mm. but it's only because you use that fuel source. And that's an easy, more easily accessible fuel source, which is why people burn it first. Like whenever you start yeah. exercising, you're burning the, that fuel source. Close. The, the majority of people. So the first fuel source is actually what's stored in your muscle fiber, which is called, and this is biology, ATP. Okay. Adenosine triphosphate. I know ADP. And ADP, creatine. I know that yeah, too. Creatine, We're on the same page. I didn't, know, I I didn't still know, follow this I didn't know what it stand. I didn't know what it stood yeah. for. I okay. just knew the, the letters. <laughs> so the, when you first start a movement, that's the most accessible fuel, like gas in the, in the, in the tank of a car. ATP and CP is your, your first accessible fuel. As you start to go, you start to use carbohydrates. It starts to come into the equation to start to create more ATP. And, okay. And then after about maybe a few more seconds, then your aerobic system, which uses free fatty acids and proteins, starts to kick in to create ATP. After second, like I thought it was like for the first five minutes I use this, then the next five minutes I use that, and then afterwards, or maybe not five, but yeah. whatever, you know, and then it kind of kicked in. But you're saying it, it happens very quickly They're, like they're all pretty much at the same time. Oh, it's okay, just the, it's the, the rate that you get ATP from each one. So to get ATP from ATP is quick. To get ATP from carbohydrates takes longer because you have to break the carbohydrate or the glucose down into to create ATP. I'm not going to get more technical. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. And then the same thing with the fat. It takes longer than than that than it does for carbohydrates. Okay. So it all starts pretty much at the same time. So then when you were talking about the time frame for someone, you know, we were talking about fat loss because fat loss in our society, you know, it's so yeah. much interest in fat loss. Yeah. How long do you need to be operating in these zones to start triggering some fat loss? So it depends on the time of day. So in the morning, you're typically low on carbohydrates. So common sense would say your body starts to burn fat as a fuel source before you eat. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the theories is, well, why do, then just do your training in the first thing in the morning. Okay. I thought to everyone, I work out in the morning, so I think it's the best way. Everyone right. else should do it. Yes. That, that, no, that, no, but I don't it, know about that. But it, it, it doesn't see. necessarily work out that way because you also start raising cortisol levels a lot faster. So you're, you're in this breakdown, teardown, build-up scenario. So it doesn't necessarily mean that's the best time to do it. But, it, but that is a theory, and it is true that you're going to burn more fat early in the morning before you've eaten than you would later on in the day. That's assuming you don't train too hard. Because if you train too hard, you're going to start getting into the carbohydrates. Okay, well, that's my problem. Yeah. Or, or, muscle, or muscle mass. No, I don't like to hear that. So right. Nick, we, Nick, we Nick, Nick could actually have more, make more gains by training at a different time of day. 
is what I'm hearing. More efficient. He could mm. be more efficient if it's... Bef- He's working against himself. A little, a little bit. Yeah. Okay. You can yeah. still get to the how same you, okay. spot. So then explain <laughs> this to me. So, okay, look, how do we, how do you know, not you, like how does someone learn, like if you want to know what works for you, yeah. how do you figure it out? Like how the hell is someone supposed to figure this stuff out? They don't know. You read men's fitness and it's like the six second ab workout. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how do you know, like, hey, here's how I should structure things for me. If someone's actually more than just, you know, wants to run on a treadmill for 20 minutes a day. Like, they're actually more interested in, in fitness and that type of stuff. I think the way that I usually answer this, you have to decide what's most important to you. Are you training for looks? Are you training for health? Are you training for performance? Because if you're training for health, a lot of this conversation is null and void, irrelevant. You should just be doing lots of different things every day. That way the joints stay healthy, your mind stays healthy, you don't have to worry about wear and tear as much. If you're training for looks, that's almost all nutrition. And then you just kind of put in your weight training. But if you're training for performance, it, it gets a little bit um, obsessive. So you would need help to determine what you should be doing because it, it does get a little bit trickier depending on what it is you're, you're looking for. So performance in the sense of uh, bodybuilding, which is kind of what we're all trying to do if you want to look better. That's a different, that's a whole different beast, which is more nutrition and then trying to, the workouts are just kind of supplementary. Yeah. Versus someone that's trying to play hockey or soccer at a high level and wants yeah. to kind of optimize whatever they're doing for that specific yes. sport. Well, that's kind of good news because if you're training for health and it's just like you're saying, just do, do a bunch of do stuff. stuff. Don't make which, it overcomplicated. Which is what I kind of feel by going to the gym that we go to. Dan programs a whole bunch of different stuff. We just kind of do a bunch of running, lifting, yeah, yeah. pull-ups, push-ups, box jobs, just a whole kettlebell swing, just always random. For someone like me, maybe not at your level. Um, but then for looks, it's all nutrition. So that means that just what you're eating will dictate your body's form a lot, a lot more than people give you credit for. That, so, that so can you I give know, an example yeah. of that? So you just, yeah, can you just kind of walk me through that a little bit? So, so I was a competitive bodybuilder. I don't know if you guys knew that. No, no I, didn't. I know you're so looking cool. at me now. I know, but um, so, <laughs> no, I, I see it now. Yeah, I just bulging out <laughs> of everywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I did that for about six years, and one of the things you do is you need to understand what you metabolize the best. And that's where it can come into, you can actually take breathing tests where it measures how much oxygen comes in, how much oxygen leaves, carbon dioxide, and that tells you what kind of, how you metabolize things. And Is that I know your VO2 max? Kind of, yeah. yeah. But you don't have to do a VO2 max. You can just breathe in and out. Okay. And it'll tell you what your percentages are of what you use. And it's the percentage of how much oxygen you're taking that you're actually able to use. Yeah. And then some people naturally like genetically can use more oxygen? Well, we take, we take the percentages and, and create a formula out of it, which tells you how much, if you're, if you burn more fat. Oh, so it's not just oxygen. Wow. You're actually I'm measuring, like, is that carbon- the acetate in your, your breath or what, what is that when you? Basically, we know nothing. We no, know, we know nothing. <laughs> but I know there's something where you breathe out, it means you're burning fat or something. Yeah, Acid- ketones. When you, oh yeah, and I can breathe those out and you can, they're measurable? You're, mm. yeah, they're just, me- they're just measuring the carbon dioxide and the oxygen. Oh, they are purely just, okay. I yeah. thought when I'm burning ketones, something's coming out of my breath. Cause I had this little meter that I would blow into when we were playing around with this and it was yeah. telling you if you were in a fat burning fat or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. But you're in you your example. You can definitely do that as well. Okay. Got okay, it. But saliva, you're talking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I see. Um, but we're talking about just kind of what, what do you metabolize when you're at rest? 
And that can kind of dictate whether or not you can handle a lot of carbohydrates. Can you handle a lot of fat? But I'm going to be just, I think most of us know this already, whether we can handle carbohydrates or whether we can handle fat. So you just need to, to use common sense and stick to what percentages you feel you work the best with. Don't so, give us too well, much credit because I don't think I really knew anything. Like I, I now know that my body seems to do well on a pretty ha- high fat diet. Like I can personally handle mm-hmm. a lot of fat, maybe more so than some other people, just me. But I didn't know that at all until I started trying it out. And I'm like, oh, I feel pretty good on this higher fat more than the higher carb. Correct. Just for me personally. Yeah. Um, and I know we're all different. So is that, uh, how do you know when you say we all know, how do we all know? Your energy levels. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Your appearance. Okay, got it. it. It just becomes that we live in a difficult society where we're being blasted with marketing and what tastes good, and we just kind of go away from that. So you, you, your, your body will figure it out if you get rid of the junk. What, yeah, that's um, a problem. Okay, so we, we went down. So we, yeah, we're, this we're is all interesting. But no, we were talking about the... Uh, uh, yeah, we're talking about the leaves. <laughs> so you were doing some work with the leaves. Um, oh, great. What, that, what other, that's you're helping the leaves. This is so, great news. So what other stuff, um, uh, and to be clear, uh, now that you've said that, just so uh, that this was, was in the past, right? Correct. You're right. So yeah. just, I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone, to, still think, I don't want anyone to say, there. Oh, well, Hey, hold on. I, mm-hmm. I, you know what, but, um, how, uh, what other sports or what else were you doing in hockey with the Leafs or, or other people? Like, so you were measuring their blood based on this type of stuff. Was there, was there other things you guys were kind of focused on as well? Not, not for the Leafs. Cause they had other people there to do all the other components. Okay. Um, we did help set up timing lights and then take and collect data for that. But we were working directly with Matt Nichols at that time okay. to collect that data. Uh, I actually lived, uh, on Vancouver Island for about eight months to work with the lightweight women's rowing team prior to the Olympics. Oh, really? What were you doing with them? So in that case, I was still doing blood lactate testing, but I was also responsible for developing their training, dry land training. So their weight training. So where did you get that background? So you have the scientist background, <laughs> yeah. like, which is obviously there's schooling involved in that, that, you know, especially, mm-hmm. I guess when you got it, there wasn't the YouTube videos that we can all learn from now. Right. But there was, a, so, so there's, but so where did you get into that, that component of, of things? So I originally, um, when I was done school the first time, I came back to my hometown and I ran a fitness facility. Okay. And you know what it's like. You want to go to seminars. So I went to a seminar and I sat down with this one guy that was talking, like listening to what he had to say. And within the first 30 seconds, he, I knew he was probably the smartest person I had ever met in the fis- fitness industry. And so from there, I just kept hounding him. And oh, he cool. and he was the one that deals with was dealing with all the Olympic athletes and dealing with the best uh, exercise physiologists across the country and the world, and so eventually he let me come aboard and he took me under his wing. Oh, that's awesome! And so at that point, I was working for him and his company was two parts. One of them was we were an educational company that went and certified personal trainers, and we would teach different training levels, depending on what kind of population you wanted to work with, all the way to powerlifting maximal strength. The other part was to do testing for sports teams. So that's kind of how I got involved there. When, when was this? Uh, I see. I was trying to remember this before I came in here because I I knew this was going to come up mid nineties to like two thousand, like I still do stuff with him every once okay. in a while. So we just did a, a talk not too long ago. But let's say okay, so let's say mid nineties because I know a lot. There's more, or maybe just because I'm more into it. There's more of this stuff is around now. But at mid nineties, this type of thing that you guys were doing was 
pretty there like it wasn't as widespread as it is now. So you guys were operating at like kind of at the top of the mountain peak, you know what I mean? Like you and other other people as well. Yes. But I mean there wasn't a lot of people really focused on on that kind of There's a area. big gap between what professional or what amateur athletes were getting as far as expertise and what was being trickled down to personal trainers. Yeah. There is a big gap there. Is there still as much of a gap from what you see? Yeah. I really? s- I'll still go into the gym and I see people, like I'm sure if I went in there every week, yeah. I'd see the same person doing, working out just as hard at that day as he, as he is 40 weeks from now. And we with elite athletes, we don't do that. So, and what, so okay, oh, man. So right. I, I want to go back to, ah, let's we'll come back to the rowing. Okay. So what do you do? So if someone that's like, what are the cycle? What's the cycling that you guys are are seeing with 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 athletes? Like, are they? Is it like two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, one week off, a month on? Like, how do you go? What What are you guys so trying to do? That's that's our job to. So we would do questionnaires, performance evaluations to determine when these people need to take a break. And then that would be scheduled in and we would keep checking to make sure we're on the right schedule. So when we say, because like I said, I worked in the fitness facility for a long time yeah. and I'm like, you, you got, you need to take a recovery week. And totally. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I took Friday and Saturday off. No, <laughs> you need to take a week where you either take it off or you, you cut your intensity down by half. And yeah, I know you probably feel good, but we're trying to make sure you feel good all year long. And tendons, joint capsules, bone, ligaments, they all adopt at different rates. They can't keep going because you're going to get your tendonitis and your, and, and your shoulder pain. And you're creating that because you're not allowing the tissues to adapt. So we try to do the programs based on the person that's in front of us. So sometimes it can, some people can do two weeks on, one week off okay. because they don't adapt well. Other people can be eight weeks, and it tends to be more how intense that we're, how intense are we right now? Yeah, okay, that makes and sense. And what are you checking to decide if they can't adapt or they can't adapt? So, for us to make things simple, we're basically looking at psychological questions as to your motivational levels. How are you sore in the morning? Do you feel like working out today? Do you feel like getting up today? Those are like those are some of the big questions I will ask. Um, I'm actually working with um, one of the local boxers here in in Oakville right now, and we're kind of doing that. But we're also looking at heart rate variability. I was just, oh, yeah, just going to ask, yeah, so, that yeah. because all the measurement tools are now getting quite good at that. Correct? Yeah, and yeah. so can you explain why you're looking at that? So with heart rate variability, we I'm just going to make the math simple here. Let's pretend your heart rate's at 60 beats per minute. So we all assume that your heart beats at one time per second. Does everybody have the math there? The That's good. Yeah, Nick is, I, just I can, for I can that figure one. that one out. Yeah. <laughs> so the closer you are to your heart rate beating at one second per for, for up to 60 beats, so if it goes beat, 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 and it's really consistent, that means you're overtrained or unhealthy. You want to see more variability between your beats. So you may have a beat at 1.1 seconds and then another one at 0.9 seconds and so on. And Tom's, I, I know Tom, when he started measuring his, he's, you know, Tom's, he was bragging about how high his variability was. Tom, what was, what was your no, peak how, variability? You're joking, right? How low? <laughs> yeah, I had to actually, I, was I, know, wearing, I know it's unique to I was person. wearing a whoop band. I actually had to reach out to them because mine was so low. <laughs> I thought, I thought maybe I was dying or something because my everyone else was reporting heart rate heart rate variability scores on this whoop band of like it was like eighty to one twenty one twenty and mine was like twenty, 20. <laughs> and then a good day for me was thirty. And, and then my range, and if I had 35, I felt amazing. Like if I hit 35, I was like, I'm on fire. I feel amazing. But I would, there'd be some days I was like 16 
18. And I reached out to them and they just said, well, some people are different, you know, just use that as your benchmark. And if you're on the high end, you're probably good. If you're on the low end, you're probably exhausted. And so that's what I did. But I've only met one or two other people who have that low uh, heart rate variability scores. So the, so the lower the variability score, like there's obviously the, something going on The less healthy there. you are. The more sim- <laughs> under fight or flight you are under, right? So the sympathetic load. Uh, but typically, if you want a good heart rate variability, it needs to be a chest strap. Or there's another company that sells a finger one for core. It's called CoreSense, and that's the one we're using. And he puts it on, and I can see his data every day. So he two minutes in the morning before he gets out of bed, he puts this thing on. And then I see the data on my Nick got the me app. the Aura Ring, which is a finger one. Would that yeah. be similar to that one? I don't one? know that. Okay. Does it, is it look like a pulse oximeter? It has three little sensors on it. That it put, looks like a ring. I think it's, it's probably pretty advanced. Yeah. yeah. It might not be as detailed, though. If you're getting something with multiple yeah, sensors on, that, on yeah, it. Yes. Yeah, I think like that. that Aura Ring's pretty good. I mean, the, the, I mean, the I'd have to, I'd have to look at yeah, it. Yeah, I didn't come across it when I was trying to find something for There's more and more out there. I mean, who knows, right? But... So, okay, that's interesting. And then, I, so I just want to be clear. Yeah, so yeah, I'm constantly under fight or flight. So I'm constantly no, but it's unique, struggling. It's I would, <laughs> no, I would want to use a different piece of equipment. to, to Oh, to verify it. that? Yeah. And it's okay. unique to the person. Like if mine's at, if my baseline, my, like when I've, you know, whatever, just normally rested is 70, can someone else be at 30 and be just normally, like their baseline? It doesn't mean there's everyone has to operate at 70, right? So, yeah. But I'll it, let you, I, even I'm letting you off the hook on this one. But the baseline should be taken during a period of low stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Low stress in life as well, I guess. We first right? put yeah. that ring on when we were on a trip to, a, a guy's <laughs> trip to New York. And that's yeah. when I first started wearing it. And it the first, the next day it was like, you didn't sleep or, or you know, last night or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, I actually slept. So yeah, I, I could see that. You don't want to set the baseline when you're just yeah. running all over the city. It was groundbreaking through those things to for me to see what alcohol did to your rest and your recovery. Like I knew, like obviously everyone knows, right? But yeah. it, it, like it, you don't feel great the next day if you drink too much, but even a few drinks can really, so not getting drunk and, you know, not being out till late in the morning, it can really impact your recovery. Like from when I started seeing my HRV numbers, I was like, wow, that's, it was, it was super insightful understanding that. Yeah. Um, that one seems common. And the other one for me that I noticed after wearing it is when I stop eating. If I stopped eating at about seven at night, and then if I went to bed around 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, I got a much better night's sleep than if I ate right up until 10 o'clock at night. And I think I've since learned it's because I guess my body's like digesting the food instead of like recovering at night. Does that sound right to you? You're probably getting a few hormonal releases. That's interrupting my recovery. Okay. And just something you said earlier that, you know, how in the morning when you were talking about Nick working out, he's burning in the morning because he hasn't eaten a while. He's burning uh, fat at that point. More more efficiently. More efficiently. Is that why the whole trend of this intermittent fasting kind of makes some sense? Because like if Nick doesn't eat, forget about the workout stuff. I just mean if he he didn't eat until noon, now he's prolonging that fat burning until noon. Now from a performance point of view, let's say Nick just says, well, screw it. I'm not going to... um, eat any day until noon. So I'm going to stop eating at nine o'clock at night. And then I'm just going to not eat until the next day at noon every day. And I'll eat in that nine hour window from 12 PM to 9 PM. And that's it. Do you see any downfall with that? Cause sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I'm not really even feeling that hungry, but I have my routine. I eat my same foods. Is there, should you just not eat in the morning if you're not hungry? 
I guess this is a loaded question because you're about to say it depends. And oh, men and women are yeah. different. There's hormones yeah, involved. Yeah, I know. But just in, stuff, in but general, yeah. let's. See, what are your so thoughts? So I, I think, and at this point, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw it my opinion. Okay, because I did, we did teach nutrition in this, then for Sport Performance Institute. This is such as well. a touchy topic. Eh? Everyone, yeah. when you talk about this stuff, yeah, you're no like, look, yeah. I'm just saying yeah. there's everything's different, but yeah. Oh, I'm going to go right. We, I think we make this way too complicated. Okay, if you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, drink. <laughs> yeah. And just eat clean and, and drink good fluids. Like, I think we get a bit, yes, I, I like the intermittent fasting. It's fine. If you feel good with it, good, carry on. You're not doing anything wrong, you're not going to hurt yourself. Uh, but the bottom line is going to be, we got to stop eating the way we're eating. The crap. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. I think we make it too, too difficult at this point. I, 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 so yeah, that's really nice and simple. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I love hearing that. And I think the hard part for me was I didn't know what the replacement foods were going to be. So to eat clean, I didn't understand that maybe I like macadamia nuts and that, you know, that could be a substitute for eating Oreo cookies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And I know that might be laughable, yeah. but I swear I really didn't know that like, yeah. oh, maybe I can have a bit of almond butter instead of having some Nutella. You know, yep. like in kind of some you know things like just that. Found, I found a great, uh, just at lunch, I found a great dessert at Farm Boy. Um, they have farm boy bars and all that was in them was, uh, um, oats, peanut butter, uh, honey, something else and like vanilla extract or something. And they were really good. They were really good. A little bit of sugar. I think there was like eight grams of sugar in the thing. But for like a little snack afterwards, I'm like, that's actually not too bad. And it yeah. tasted really good. So you can find these things. Like you said, you can now find you can, them when, when you look for Yeah, and before you have even hard to find. You have to read all the ingredients. I was. But at, they're hard to find I even was, now though, right? I was eating some chocolate covered, dark chocolate almonds, which I love. Like dark almonds covered in dark chocolate are definitely a sweet. Yeah, this dark chocolate here. But uh, dark chocolate covered almonds to me are like, that's my food, right? That's my, uh, definitely, I love it. And I was reading the ingredients as I was eating these things. I'm like, oh. Look at that ingredient right there, shellac. I'm like, I guess that's probably pretty good for me. And I'm looking at these almonds and they're all shiny and everything. They look beautiful. I'm like, oh, this is great. And I just kept eating them. I'm thinking the whole time, I'm like, there can't really be shellac on these almonds. <laughs> but I think that's what we find it all the time now is we're just reading all these things. And I find now all these replacement foods, like I'm like, oh, when you look at a can of sardines, I'm like, this is like a protein bar in a, in a can, yeah. like a can of sardines or a banana or, you know, with a little bit of almond butter or something like that. It's not that hard, but I didn't, I genuinely did not know how to eat healthy at all. Like that's where I think the majority of us start, or at least as that's well, where I started. Ta- you're not taught it anywhere. Like you have to actually go and figure it out yourself. And now it's easier because there's access to more information out there. You got to make sure you're choosing good sources, but it is easier to find a good source than it used to be. But I mean, you're not taught it in any way, shape or form. So how do you, how, how do you recommend people learn to eat clean? So like... That I, might sound ridiculous to no, you. No, like I, I'm listening to you guys talk and I still... I still believe it's it's even simpler than than that. Like if you take a look at it, it's basically vegetables, fruit, and if you're somebody that's going to eat meat, you have your meat products or fish. Anything out out beyond that, if you want to put kiwi for a fat source or almond butter, like to me, that's not. Those are just exterior things. Eating clean is just coming back to: is it processed? If it's not processed, you're probably going to be okay. So no flour products, no sugar products. Everything else you're going to get from there. You're going to get your carbohydrates, your proteins, your fats, and you're going to probably start gravitating towards, like you said, more more carbohydrate or more fat, whatever you start to feel comfortable with. You said if you eat meat, do you not eat meat? Yes, I do. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So the whole talk on 
um, you can't get all the amino acids that you need if you don't eat meat. Is that accurate? No, it's not accurate. So when you're taking a look at these things, they're trying to, if you're a vegetarian, they want you to combine certain foods so that you get all 22 amino acids. But really, every food has every ingredient in it. Just some of them are so minuscule that they won't count it, so they just call it trace, and they just say it's not there. But basically, if you're trying to get a well-rounded fuel source and you're not, and you're some type of vegetarian, you, you're probably going to have to make sure you're having a wider variety of legumes and beans and your rices. But you can get everything that you need. Oh, there's bodybuilders out there that are vegan. And they have a lot more muscle mass. I've listened to some, I wish I could remember exactly so I can speak more intelligently, but I swear I've listened to some, Mm. someone explain that over long term to get all the amino acids at the quantity that you need them to your point, it's just very difficult to do so that, you know, some people end up having teeth issues and all kinds of different things that don't, aren't visible in the first year, but over four, five, six years do come to fruition. And I've never known if that's actually accurate or not. So it sounds like it might not be, but you have to be kind of on top of the nutrition to to make sure you're getting the amino acids you need if you are vegetarian. Yeah, because it is is difficult to get enough protein if you are going to be a strength training athlete or or an endurance athlete. So endurance athletes, when I was doing this, endurance athletes for us actually needed more protein than than our hockey players or any type of strength training athlete. Now, strongman's going to be a little bit different. But basically, endurance athletes use protein as a fuel source when they're running. Really? I didn't, for some reason, I would have thought some endurance athletes weren't going to be using protein. That's not their main, that's their main fuel source? Nope. Oh, okay. Nope. Yeah, it's not they're their main, but they were going fat, through protein. Yes, they, should, they definitely do. Okay. So. Got it. And then so for someone like, you know, for this whole training method, for someone like myself who, like, I feel like I really love lifting heavy rocks off the ground and building walls. That's what I feel like I'm designed for. There's a heavy block there, lift it up, build a wall. Like, I feel like that's what I'm designed. I feel like if I was born like 300 years ago, I would be the guy to like, hey, we need a lot of walls built. You build the walls. And I would just go around and build walls all day. But I want to be able to run a little bit better than I do. So like, this is just constantly, I have to work on my car i have to work on my 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 aerobic capacity so i have to do what you there is, said there's skill involved in running too though no no i know like forget my form for that. a second i don't <laughs> i don't have good form but i just mean i have to work on this aerobic capacity i have to do these longer stints of boring mind-numbing silliness to build my aerobic capacity there's no other way to build my aerobic capacity than doing like these 30, 45 minutes. I'm waiting for horrible, the oh, I hate it, slow. Like at least if I'm sprinting, I feel like, oh my God, I'm sprinting. But like running slow to me is like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'll just get in my car. Like what am I doing? Why am I running so slow? This is horrible. But that's what I have to do. N- no. You can't, like high intensity inter- interval training is still going to build up an aerobic base. It's just if we're looking at what's more efficient, then the longer, slower stuff is more efficient. But I do, I do want to make a point because I worked with um, a lot of amateur athletes and I was working with a 1,500-meter runner and we were doing his blood lactate testing and his long, slow jogging speed it where, he, where it, was, it was 11.5 miles per hour on the treadmill Got it. that he could run for hours at. 
So, oh my gosh. So okay. the more fit you become, the faster okay, you can so go. You can so you bit. may need to start slow. Okay. Okay. Which is where I yeah, am. Yeah. Some of these sure. marathon runners, I forget. Like yeah, you're guys, right. Yeah. That guy where they have that treadmill where you can try to run yeah. as fast as he yeah. can run. And it was a, he ran a marathon at that level. And like, I don't think yeah. I could keep up for 400 meters. Okay. You know? okay. So just, I'm so deplorable that I have to start so slow. Okay. I got it. I got it. But the interval training, why do you, why do you say that's not as efficient? It, it sounds like that's an answer, but it's not as efficient. I don't understand what it's, you mean. It's a little bit harder on the body. Oh, okay. Right? I you're, like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're, you're talking about wear and tear and you're using carbohydrates. The muscles are being put under more tension and pull. And you, this comes back to, I see people doing this kind of training 52 <laughs> weeks a year. Okay. <laughs> okay. But no Olympic athlete would do that. So you, uh, there's something called the, the law of diminishing returns, which when you do high, inter, high intensity interval training, you're actually working the anaerobic or the uh, yeah the anaerobic lactic system is basically what you're going after. It takes about six weeks to max that system out. So anything beyond that, you're not getting as many gains, and you need to put in more work to get even less gains. So you need to go back and train something else for a while to help build up that system, and then away you go again. Got it. Because they so, complement each other. Building up the aerobic system helps the anaerobic system clear out and flush out the lactate and all that kind of stuff. Right. So it gets, yeah, you okay. can't, you just can't, and, and it's the wear and tear on the body to do that all year long. Like you're going to, something's going to happen. You can't sure. operate at that so, level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, someone like me, I'm not doing that every day or whatever. No, but not even, but even if you, you know, at whatever level you are compared to, you know, someone that's operating at a higher level, mm -hmm. you can't push your, you can't operate in sixth gear every single day for, you know, three months. You Are just you trying to say out. you're a higher level than me? No, I'm saying no one can. Like, you can't. You, you need these, you need to do, you need to take time off. You need to step back. You need to yeah. take the time off to let your body truly recover. And it's not just the muscles. It's like you said, it's the, the nervous system and everything. It's, it's perfect. I do that in Croatia every year. So, I do nothing but drink right. wine mm -hmm. and espresso and lie on the beach uh, for like a month. It's it, perfect. And my body does feel great. I feel yeah, very mm -hmm. flexible and relaxed. You might need to do that a little bit more often. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. I like this okay. advice. <laughs> Is that something you see commonly with athletes is overtraining? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's like one of the most common, because is it, it's just, it's an addiction. Doesn't it become like, you feel like mentally, like if you're not doing that or more, you're not progressing. Does that, would that make sense? I think we're trying to apply. So we, we talk about if you want to be a good business person, you put in time and it may be a 17, eight hour day. We're applying this to, to conditioning and training and you can't do that. And that's where, so we're just taking that philosophy and putting it into your physical body and your body can't handle it. It's going to go at some time. And what I'll typically see is in, in the case of somebody working out, when you start to stop working out, the, this is when a lot of these things start to show up because they were, you were getting damaged while you were exercising, but you're so, you're compensating so well that you don't know you're damaging anything. And I'll have elite athletes come in and uh, like... I hurt my shoulder, but I haven't been training for like six months. I don't know why it's sore. They go get imaging and they have a tear. Well, they haven't been training in six months. Where'd yeah. the tear come from? So basically, you're if you keep training like a hundred percent all the time, you're going to get all this, all these little things happening, but you're not going to see it. You're going to get degeneration in the joints. You're not going to see it. So that's why we advise taking the rest so that you can allow everything to catch up. And the more fatigue you have, um, it, your body acts like it's, it's injured. And so the joints start banging into each other and then the tears happen and this is all going to show up later on. So the whole idea behind you training and you training is to maintain your health and your independence as you age.
Yeah. Because you guys aren't training for anything in no, particular. No, no. So yes, it's fine. You get a good endorphin release when you train hard, and everybody loves that endorphin release. But you, you just something is probably happening, and you're it's, you're gonna get it at some point. I know. Yeah, I know for myself. Like yeah. I'll get worn down, and then I end up. Yeah, I used to overtrain 100%. I used to overtrain because I was regularly hearing this. I still think you overtrain. I might a little you bit. You need to take more times off. Yeah, but you know, but I pull back a lot more than I used to. Like, I used to overtrain because I used to be regularly injured, whereas now I'm not. Like, I haven't been injured, but but I also feel times like right now, my quads for the last few weeks, like, I haven't been able to get to loosen up properly. Um, which then is, you know, getting a little bit of knee pain because of it. And I'm like, man, I got to. So I've, I've been trying to pull back or be kind of more selective. Like I didn't do a really hard workout this week that was heavy on the quads. Cause I'm like, no, I just know that right now, this is not the time for me to push it at that, that type of thing. So I am more selective over that. Whereas before I just would have done it. And then my, I would have like, my knee would have been really stiff after, you know, I, I, I didn't even understand before that the quad tightness in the quads were, would cause knee pain. Like, I'm like, what do you mean? Knee pain is from knee pain, right? But yeah, I so I definitely used to overtrain for sure because I just thought more was better. Like to, to your point, like I didn't realize what you're Okay, so, so we have a, you know, we have a bunch of friends that we're trying to convince to come and work out a little bit just for their own fitness and health. So I love the way you summarized eating because you said uh, just eat clean like fruits and vegetables and some protein. Like it's pretty basic, right? Um, so when it comes to fitness then, do you have a similar answer of like, hey, look, if you're just kind of trying to get healthy, what, what would be a good approach to working out if you've never worked out before or haven't in many years? So I think, I think we'll just do two things. One, if you want to be healthy, you wouldn't necessarily be actually be in a gym. So you would be hiking. Got it. Okay. Those types of things. But in the gym setting, if you are going to do it, how, do you, how are you going to be as healthy as you can be in a gym setting would be to vary things up all the time. And you do not, and I think this is, nobody's going to like this. You do not need to get sore. You don't have to feel pain. You don't need to be sore for two or three days. It doesn't mean that you worked out better. Yeah, yeah. look how hard I okay. worked out, man. I can barely walk. Because <laughs> yeah, when I can remember us doing squats, uh, getting ready for bodybuilding, we would do squats. We would step up on a bench and, and step off. And if we could still control ourselves from not crashing to the floor, we did another set. So I've, I've been there. So you wow. took it to, yeah, you yes. took it to a pretty serious level. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been there, but the whole point is if you are sore, that is actually muscle damage and it takes longer to recover from that kind of stuff. You can make gains without being sore. All you need is a stimulus. And, and the, the debate becomes, what is the stimulus? The stimulus is just basically doing something you haven't really done before. So if I come in and do a 20 pound dumbbell curl for six reps then the next time I might come in and do seven reps. That's it. That's my new stimulus, and you will make gains, and you will recover faster to get ready for your next workout. You don't need to go until you can't lift the weight anymore. Yeah. Is that a relatively new science? Like why? So then why was the training to failure so popular? And maybe it still is popular in the bodybuilding world. I'm not in it yeah. anymore, so I, I don't really know. But like that, because that was basically like, so widespread throughout bodybuilding was trained to failure, right? Yeah, so that come it does come from research, but now you're talking about being in a lab where all you're doing is the exercise. So the research was showing that if you if you trained to failure and you compared it to not training to failure, training to failure had a little bit better results, and we called it statistically significant. So what ends up happening is when I say the word significant people start writing articles saying that it's there's significant. a significant difference <laughs> between training to failure and not training to failure. The problem becomes 
we do way more things in the course of a day. Or if you're an athlete, you still have your practices to do. So if you're training to failure, creating all kinds of damage, your coach isn't going to be really happy when you show up to practice and you're like, yeah, you're trying to skate, but my, you got my, no power left. My knees are sore. Yeah. My, my hips are tight. Sorry, I'm going to have to take this one off. Yeah, that doesn't so, work. No. So there is no, the, the, the difference between training to failure and not training to failure isn't very much different. And some research shows it being identical. But I would always pick not training to failure. Well, because there's benefits associated with that versus the other one. Because I'm thinking more long-term. Because the closer you get to failure, the more fatigue is being developed. The more fatigue is being developed, your technique is starting to change. Technique leads to injury. Technique failure leads to injury. So at your your clinic, what are you guys doing? Because, I mean, is it mainly chiropractic? Like, your main focus now is... chiropractic focus what interested me was was all this other stuff because i hadn't spoken to a sports scientist that you know about different things before i find it really interesting what do you like what do you guys focus on there so i so with my wife we own two clinics and they're and they're both a little bit different okay the one that's in toronto which is our bigger clinic uh, the patient base is not really athletic so i focus more on lifestyle at that clinic. So you're trying to get people moving, you're healing their back pain, their shoulder pain. And we do have a little gym in that area where we try and get chronic pain patients to, to, to get moving. Is a lot of that because people haven't done certain things like, like, yeah, sitting over a computer for 20 years. I couldn't sit in a squat before. I'll never forget. Like I, you know, I couldn't squat below parallel very well when I was, when I was bodybuilding. And when my first daughter was born, I saw her playing on the kitchen floor and she would just sit in this squat position and she'd play like that for whatever, 10 minutes. I'd be like, oh my God, this is like a natural human position that I actually can't get into um, comfortably. And then I had to focus on being able to do that. Is that gen, like that's what, where all that stuff comes from for a lot of people? Yeah. So you, and you should be able to keep that range of motion as you, as you get older, but we typically, we lose it. Because we don't use it, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So chairs, chairs are the problem. Yeah. So that's kind of, so what we're just trying to do is get people to move, get rid of their pain. Here in Oakville, I get to come back to my roots a little bit and I do both. So I'll treat injuries, but I also spend a lot of time on sports science and that's where I'll do work. So I'm in a cheerleading facility and I have accelerometers, force plates, laser systems all set up there to use to test people and train and determine where they're at. I want to come for testing, yeah, but, I, I don't know, cool. but I don't know what I want to be tested at. Yeah. Just does get that, tested. Does that, like, can I come to you for yeah. saying testing for something that I don't know what I want? Yeah. yeah. So what I want to do the same. I don't know yeah. what I want either. Yeah. Test me. So I'll typically look at imbalances more than anything else. So we have equipment set up to measure what's the strength of your left leg compared to your right leg from a power standpoint. And you're... I'm not necessarily, we always talk about it in terms of injury. If you have a greater difference between one side and the other, that increases your risk of injury. I tend to, it's hard to prove that. I tend to go more towards, if you have one leg weaker than the other, you're actually interfering with your performance. I definitely that. I'm definitely for sure. That's your running problem for sure. You might have No, I have other problems. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's definitely exists. I have a lot of problems. (laughs) We we all do. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, that's that's um, so. So at that clinic in Oakville, like people walk in, and what is it typically? Athletes then? So it's mostly cheerleaders. Okay. Because there's like 300 cheerleaders at that clinic or at oh. that facility. Okay. Um, I just finished doing an interview this morning um, for my for the cheer district company, where I had an interview from one of the top names in the in the cheerleading industry in the world, and we kind of went through all the sports science behind that. And I talked about 
a lot of what we're talking about, injuries, fatigue, training, how to design a, how to design a practice. Well, I think once you understand if it's someone like you explaining that, Hey, look, you don't have to burn yourself out and push to the limits. Then it becomes a strategic advantage. And then I think an A type personality athlete will take a break. Because I think once they've been convinced, this is going to get you further ahead by taking some time off. That's what we're trying to convince. Yeah, I yes. think yeah. then yeah. the obsessive A-type person is like, okay. Mm-hmm. If, but I think it has to come from a source like yourself that is very believable backing up with science. Because otherwise, it doesn't feel right. It's kind mm-hmm. of like in business, because you were using that analogy earlier. I think both Nick and I know that it is a big fallacy to think that you can just do 18-hour days and you're going to win at business. Yeah. No way. That's a path to absolute burnout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I think it's it applies in business, it applies in life, it applies in fitness and everything. But yeah. I, I think we need to hear it from you, you know, because we're all just kind of guessing and it doesn't quite feel right. It feels better to burn. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think the best example I can probably give is taking you back to when I had my fitness facility and I was training uh, power lifters. And so you, you have the people in the gym that think they know everything and they try and train as hard as they can. And then here we are training power lifters and the, the guy will come over to me and he's like, I, I don't think I've ever seen this guy train to failure. He doesn't seem to be getting the burn or the pump. And he's training every week and he's setting new records every month. And I'm like, yeah, there's, there is a strategy to this. You don't need to train as hard as you can all the time. There's a science behind it, and it's all about staying healthy. The healthier you are, the more you can train, the more frequent you can train. And that's all we did. Like Very rarely did we train to failure. And it was more for the psychological aspect of getting ready for competition. You know what was interesting? Before you got here, Scott was telling me that um, with uh, cheerleading, you said, yeah, cheerleading is basically like Olympic weightlifting and gymnastics combined. Totally, man. Which, what, They're what, crazy. Full respect no, for the No, I know that, but I never thought about it. He goes, like, just think when you're lifting, like, like if you're lifting a girl, let's say, right, then the, the same principles apply. You want to kind of keep it as a straight up and down. You want to lock out your elbows overhead, like all this type of yeah. stuff that I'm like, oh, my God, I just never really piece that together that that, that was like, like they're doing clean so and jerks with humans yeah yes, exactly <laughs> yeah it does, it's a lot hard to hold the hold human though that's the, the problem yeah. they need handles on the humans no, right? yeah. So. yeah I was near uh, Oakville I walked into a friend's competition at River Oaks in the community center there I was amazed that these oh. girls and guys flying in the air spinning yeah, catching it's astonishing them. it's yeah. totally astonishing I had no idea that was happening around here yeah so I've kind of I've taken it upon myself to try and make that sport kind of come into the mainstream with all other sports and take it the athletes need to take it seriously. The coaches need to take it seriously and they do, but they're still not training as if they're athletes. We yeah. Are, they're training yeah. like they're cheerleaders yes. and not pure athletes, which yeah. they are pure athletes. Oh, Why are you doing. taking a special interest? Do you have a daughter in cheer or something? I was a cheerleader. Oh, got I knew it. you okay. guys were going to come up with this. Man, but you've okay. done bodybuilding. You went from bodybuilding to cheerleading. That's went, like, talk about other, both, both extreme worlds, right? The other way. So, cheerleading, so cheerleading got me into bodybuilding because you had to work out. I was at the University of Western Ontario at the time. I think it's Western University now. But one of the things we had to do was mandatory that we had to work out. And I was noticing that. Were you, uh, were you doing uh, gymnastics too then if you were in, in, backyard, in cheerleading? Backyard, backyard gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no YouTube videos back there. Yeah, yeah. A lot of bro coaching <laughs> happening in there. <laughs> it was like I wanted to make this team so I better be able to, to flip around a little bit. <laughs> when we go to the gym, a bunch of us go to the gym and then we have our bro coaching session afterwards and Dan, the trainer, just walks out because he's like, I do not I do not want to associate myself <laughs> with you guys right now. And we're like, get angry. You know, you got to get angry. If you're going to do a bar muscle up, you're going to have to get angrier than that, you know? 
know, and sometimes yeah. it's just amazing with pure emotion what you can yeah. do. But then you can also wreck your shoulder and have all kinds of injuries. But you got on top of the bar, and we can cheer. It still needs to be fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, cool. For anyone looking to uh, reach out to you, like, what's the best way? Is it just the, the clinic websites? Or what, you know, how do they? Kind yeah, of go probably about that? the the clinic website. What's that? So it's. Um, OptiHealthClinic.com. Opti, uh, O-P-T-I? Yeah. OptiHealthClinic.com. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much for doing this. This was this was super interesting, and we got it kind of uh, got off topic a little bit. <laughs> I was going to go. We have to come. We'll have to have you back to talk about the rowing team and all those other mm-hmm. things as well. But uh, thanks. Anything yeah, else? Th- no, that was great. Thanks, Scott. Uh, Appreciate well, it. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode of the podcast as much as we did. Thanks again to Dr. Scott Christie for coming on and and sharing that type of information. We think it's hugely valuable. And listen, if you are listening to this and you have some real estate specific questions, as I mentioned at the beginning, you can check us out on Instagram. We are really active on there right now. You can check us out at Rockstar Inner Circle. That's the handle at Rockstar Inner Circle on Instagram. Um, Check out what we're doing there. Give us some comments, throw some questions our way, and we can interact that way if we are not already. And with that, if you are not living life on your terms, what are you waiting for? Until next time, your life, your terms.